welcome to episode 37 of the UC Architects, the world's most popular exchange, link and office 365 podcast, recorded on Sunday, April the 20th, 2014. I'm your host, Steve Goodman, Exchange MVP, and on today's show, we'll be talking as ever about what's hot in the Microsoft UC world and bring you this week's latest news. But before we do, this UC Architects episode is sponsored by Instant Technologies, experts in e-discovery and compliance for your Link IM archive. View a two-minute demo or start a free trial at www.tryhraudiator.com or follow them on Twitter at Team Instant. But without further ado, let's get started. This week, I'm joined by Michael Van Horenbeek, John Cook, Michelle Delroy and Stolle Hansen. Hello, guys. Hola. Hey there. Hey, Steve. Hi. So, uh, it's the first show since Mech, and uh, out of those that went, did you all enjoy it? Yes. Yes. I probably enjoyed myself too much, but it was a great time. <laughs> Are you still recovering then? <laughs> it was great to see all you guys that were there. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was amazing, actually. It was better than 2012. Uh, expectations were set high, but they pulled it off. Mech was epic. Excellent. So uh, you were going to give us, uh, as our top story, a bit of a wrap-up about uh, what people missed, uh, if uh, not uh, what we talked about on last week's podcast, uh, but more about what they missed and, uh, and some of the things that have come out of Mech that you'll be able to see soon. Yeah, sure. So uh, first of all, you know, let me start with uh, thanking one of our sponsors uh, that hosted our party over there, uh, Eno. They did an amazing job, and uh, it was actually a very fun party. Um, we had lots of drinks and <laughs> lots of fun. Yeah. Uh, some great pictures, which you can see on our Facebook page as well. So that was, was really, really cool. But, you know, other than that, uh, what people especially missed is the, the interactions and in all the parties. I mean, more than one. The uh, the attendee party was cool as well, um, and then all the other you know extra curriculum activities that they were there they were pretty cool. I mean there was a lot of things that you could go to every every night of the day, but other than that you know talking about the conference itself, um, there was a huge amount of great content. I mean really really good content um, and uh, probably you know one of these days they're gonna publish most of it on channel 9 or uh, at least I expect it to be yeah, you know, published within a few weeks yeah um, so Devin, they have said that I think Brian Shears uh, said on I think the office 365 IT pro network on Yammer which I know you check Michael uh, but <laughs> it was the Yammer uh, it was, it, the, if there was one theme for the uh, uh, for conference it was Yammer. <laughs> they want you to use Yammer. Yeah, so they, they announced on there that uh, stuff will be online within two weeks. So uh, that, this is the 20th, so hopefully uh, that, that'll mean by the end of the month, by the end of April. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I'm sorry. I want to just you know, say again thanks to Jay and Enal for, for doing that for us too. I mean, it was really, the party was awesome and the amount of support was really cool for them, you know, for them to do for us. So again, I just want to say I appreciate it. Yeah. So if you uh, if you were at home and you didn't get to go, then you've seen some of those pictures on our Facebook page. Uh, so our new background and logo uh, are courtesy of of Enow because uh, at our party uh, they projected the UC Architects logo on the on the wall. And um, a link to a topic later in the show, Office for iPad. If you saw the launch for that, uh, the lady that launched that was uh, Julia White. And uh, so someone said she was at our party. Yeah. I looked over. I'm like, holy 
Well, you got to be kidding me. What are you doing here? <laughs> well, Kevin baconing ourselves away from the CEO of Microsoft. So, yeah, Julia White was there. Yeah, she was. Uh, that was, you know, very unexpected, but very cool that, you know, she she showed up at the party. Uh, I think uh, Michael Atala was there, too, was there too, and a bunch of the, yeah. the product group uh, people too. So it was it was fun to see them, uh, you know, uh, mixing up with all other people, having fun, having some sharing some drinks. So you know, the the, the best part of 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 Mech to me was, you know, aside from the content, is you know the great interactions that you have with all the people. I, I mean, how often do you get the chance to talk to those people uh, in real life, and then you know have discussions about all the things that are going on? I, I remember, you know. Very very vivid discussions about quality and, and, and all the stuff that happened and, you know, how we we're dealing with it. So it was it was really, really cool. I, and, you know, I, I appreciate, you know, having that opportunity once in a while, uh, even though it's been from 2012. I really hope that, you know, they carry forward and make, make something, you know, like the Link Conference every year because I would really, really appreciate that. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, again, for me, um, you know, Mech was cool because I, you know, not, even, not so much for the sessions, but, more for me, it was just, you know, more of a networking and, you know, seeing everybody. Um, but, you know, a lot of masters were there, there that were in my rotations or people I knew. So, that you know, it's always fun for me to see those guys. And also, I'd never been to Austin before. It was an awesome, awesome time. Well, that's my uh, first Mac. And I, people already told me how great it was. So, it lived up to the expectation. But also, the extracurriculum activities, um, people from the product team were very accessible. It was all very open and... Um, yeah, getting in touch with people and getting in touch with people from the product team. So I hope uh, we'll have an event soon again. Yeah, and you know what I, I what I found very interesting too. You know, being in one of the the MVPs that were there, and I think there were about forty of them. Um, it's it's like it was cool. They had you know the the MVP space in the expo area, and literally you know when we were there, people would come up to us and then talk to us and say, hey, you know these are the issues that we have, and the amount of you know ideas I have for blogs and and things that I have to write about and do some research on is is amazing. You know, being able to talk to people that are you know stuck in in their deployments or that have questions about how they have to deal with things, it's 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 pretty cool. You know that you that they get the opportunity to, you know, kind of openly discuss these things as well with, you know, um, random experts, but, you know, really people that know their stuff. So you could walk up to someone and say, hey, I've got this weird issue with Mailflow, and then everyone would point out to Brian Raiden and say, hey, that's the guy that you're going to have to talk to, or even one of the PMs that deal with EOP or or, or uh, Mailflow. So that, that, that is, you know, that is cool. There's, you know, one place that you can do that. So that's what you missed if you didn't attend Mac. So For a moment, I thought you were going to mention the Skittles. Skittles what? <laughs> yeah, even I saw a picture of my face on some Skittles, and I wasn't there. Yes, I, I think they even set aside some some bags with uh, Skittles for you, Steve. Yes, uh, I think I'll be getting them at the uh, Office 365 user group, or if I'm lucky, uh, at the end of this week uh, in Dublin when I next meet Brian. Um, so that that's a segment, by the way, that we uh, hopefully will be able to record uh, a bit of the show for if we're allowed to, and. Uh, uh, where we're going to be meeting with Tom, Justin, and uh, a few other Exchange and Link MVPs at a data center tour in Dublin later this week, and I might get my bag of skills then. Yeah, what do you you were talking about that earlier? What what uh, you just going for a tour of the data center? Uh, yes, it should be uh, a tour to see what's there. I don't know uh, what it's going to be like because I've never been to one of those before. You've been to one there, haven't you, Michael? 
Yeah, I actually been to the the one in Dublin, um, and it is uh, very amazing. I mean, literally, I saw some data centers in my life, and I went there, and I've never seen anything like it again. And I, I was there in 2012, so I've I've never seen any sophistic uh, any data center as sophisticated as that one, without going into too much detail. It was, you know, uh, it was awesome, and I'm I'm pretty sure you'll have a great time. And you know, the the tour is is well worth the time. Um, so well, I'll, I'm pretty sure that you'll be able to, to you know, share some some details when you get back. Yeah. So I mean, there's a session that's going to be released as part of Mech, which is behind the curtain how they run Office 365. Um, but I, I'm going to be really interested to see what it all looks like and see whether they can show us anything of, of how it all fits together so whether we'll get some technical content whether it's just uh, in this container here is some of office 365 i don't know yet but it's it's all very interesting especially when uh like myself you're spending half your days working with office 365 uh, it's pretty cool to actually go and visit the data center yeah i, uh, I was talking to you guys on, on the deal about it um but yeah I, I got a tour of the chicago one um a couple of years ago and uh it's it's beyond amazing like you know it's like nerd like you know you're just walking around going i can't believe because you know what what blew me away was like it's all like the the little details here and there you know um you know not just all the crazy equipment but like just like there was you know runs of electrical conduit along the wall that were like you know it seems like miles long and they were all bent when they made around a corner they were all bent with the exact same you know like angle i mean it was just like you know like that like kind of that attention to detail like a lot you know yeah exactly just like, like <laughs> wow man whoever did this you know they paid they had to probably pay the top dollar you know because nothing was out of place it was kind of crazy so just to use this topic as a, a kind of a springboard because now that we're you know talking about it anyway um you know microsoft has been you know doing a very good job at being more open at how they run Office 365, not only by allowing people to go into the data centers, but, you know, the, one of the, the, the best sessions at Mac was the one where they described how they run Exchange Online. Um, so for the people who haven't had the ch- chance to uh, view it or uh, are waiting for downloads, uh, I think Tony Redmond already blogged about it. It was a really, really good session. And I, I definitely urge everyone to go and, you know, have a look at it because they give you insights in how they deal with you know some of the issues how they run exchange online and it's pretty interesting to see how they deal with um, the scale and and some of the the things that they encounter uh, because they are operating at such a, such a scale so just wanted to you know put that in between the discussion that we had about the data center kind of related to it anyway yeah it should be good i mean it's, it's one of those things where you you want to find out as much as you can about what goes on behind the curtain and uh, and if I can find out something, uh, it'll be good because uh, there's a, a lot more interesting stuff coming out of there. So um, another thing that was uh, it's not uh, related to our podcast particularly, uh, but uh, if you've heard of the Azure Express Route stuff, uh, where people can connect like an MPLS into uh, the Azure networks, it certainly makes you start thinking about some of the questions customers have asked. Uh, about what they can do in the future. And uh, talking of Azure and things in the future, uh, let's move on to our next top story this week. And this one is particularly important uh, to some of us doing hybrid. So, Michael, this will be something uh, that uh, is getting you uh, excited, I would imagine, uh, the Azure AD Sync Preview. Hell yeah! Um, it, that is, you know, <laughs> it's, it's geek. It's what you've been waiting for. <laughs> Oh, yes, God, yeah. yes. 
I, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been telling you that I haven't been doing a lot since I came back from Mac. Well, one of the things that I have been doing is taking a look at the ADC review uh, since, you know, as soon as they published it um, from a very high level. But... Yeah, so I've been waiting for them to publish it. And uh, we've been talking uh, about doing a possible joint session on Multiforest. And... Uh, I've been trying to find out what you knew um, because I'd, I'd heard from a little bird about this thing, and uh, we talked about it. Uh, I think did, did I mention it to you that it was talked about on the uh, MVP list, which of course it's public now, so it's not under NDA. Um, but we hadn't seen the shape of it, so it's very exciting to see it's released because configuring FIM uh, in that kind of way for multi-forest hybrid uh, is very new and as far as I, I understand it's it's only being done at the moment by a small number of people and MCS seem to be the people leading out with that at the moment yes yes so I think that the main reason why MCS you know is, is doing most of them or if not all is because there was a requirement previously that you had to go through MCS to get the uh, Azure AD connector for FIM anyway yeah. um, but it is a complex thing I, I mean in a in a multi forest multi uh, um, exchange organization and environment where you want to go hybrid the most difficult part isn't really about the you know the exchange it's about the a desynchronization yeah. uh, so I, I can see why it is and I'm I'm very delighted that they're you know making an attempt to make it easier and by the first looks at the AD sync preview it, it it's it's amazing it's still limited because it's a, a you know community technical preview anyway but they're heading the right way. I mean, they're making things way more easy than it is with FIM. Yeah. So, so, so yeah. let's, let's walk through the, the process at the moment. So starting off with the simple. If you're a single forest and you've got a single uh, Office 365 tenant, then it's a, quite a simple decision. Dersync and then think about uh, ADFS or password sync from there. But if you're multi-forest then it depends what type of multi-forest you are as to which way you can go. Uh, so if you've got, for example, um, an account forest and a resource forest, currently the, the Azure AD connector, the guidance for that, comes with all the example code and the example Im implementation guide on how to put that together. And the documentation showing you how to do multi-forest hybrid, that's not something Microsoft have released yet. What you have to do is... is is use that sample code that's tailored to a resource forest model and then edit that and, and make that work for multiple exchange forests. Would you say that's right, Michael? Yeah, sure. Uh, yes. So sorry, caught, you caught me off guard. Uh, no, no, it's <laughs> entirely true. It's, yeah. Um, yeah. I, was, I was just aware. I don't want to uh, talk the, the whole topic to death uh, <laughs> and not leave anything for you to say. No, no, you, you know, I... I you're, That's not a problem my government has. You were a train moving <laughs> forward, and I was like, yep, yep, I yeah, agree entirely, cool. wholeheartedly. So. <laughs> okay, yeah, so the... So, so if you're in that position, you're thinking, what can I do? There's a, a few ways of doing it. And uh, a common way, if you don't want to spend £12,000 on FIM and all the consultancy to, to put that together, might be to move through a single forest as your conduit to the, the cloud uh, and collapse those or, or do all sorts of different ways using cloud IDs for some. There's there's a lot of different ways to mix it. And there's uh, there's not been a particularly straightforward way 
Uh, and there's been some issues with that as well. So if you're doing a multi-forest hybrid uh, or you've got multiple forests with individual user accounts and you're planning to move them around, there's all sorts of caveats all over the place, uh, like uh, making sure that the unique IDs are the same as people move across forest. And what the Adore, uh, Azure uh, AD Sync Preview does, it walks you through all of that setup and asks you all the right questions uh, to make sure that you do it the right way and it works. So you, uh, have you had a play with it yet there, Michael? No, actually, I, I did take a look at the, the internal notes. I haven't used it because, uh, I haven't deployed it, sorry, because one of the limitations right now is that, it, as far as I saw, is that it still doesn't uh, support hybrid exchange deployments. Exactly, um, yeah. So, you know, hybrid, it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I, I did walk through it, but I didn't, you know, do actual lab testing uh, because I'm waiting for, you know, the the preview to mature a little bit more. But, you know, as we move forward, uh, for sure, these are one of the things that, we, you know, I'll be testing. And hopefully, you know, they move along pretty quickly so that we can build that session and maybe do it at Ticket. Yeah, that's that. That's the hope, anyway. Uh, so, so yeah, there's a, a lot to go with it yet. It's not something you can use uh, in its entirety in the lab, even. But you can certainly set it up. Um, so, at the moment, uh, it's going to probably sit inside my uh, FIM multi-forest lab, uh, which is doing the same sort of thing at the moment uh, for multiple exchange forests. And uh, I'll have a play with it there. Um, but uh, if you are deciding to that you know within the next few months you are going to be moving to Office 365, then you don't want to change your existing plans. Uh, this is likely to be at least three to six months down the line uh, before it's out uh, in, in actual use. Uh, I'd say so. Probably, yep. you know, expect three, three months minimum before the very first 1.0 uh, release is, is out there, and uh, even then, probably not something to do alone. Probably not. Um, so, and you know, while while we are talking about this topic, I mean, about, about all the the different you know topologies that are now or will now be supported, like multiple forests and premises, multiple organizations. Um, Earlier this week, I, I, I released that article about, you know, the update in uh, Windows Server 2012 R2 uh, about ADFS, allowing you to use an alternative UPN or an alternative login idea. Um, yeah, so, uh, I mean, they're doing a lot of things in the area uh, of identity management, your, you know, logon options and, and making things easier for everyone. Did, didn't you, did you also notice? Yeah, so alternate login ID. So for those that don't know, if you're doing Office 365, then usually it makes most sense to change the user principal name, so the Windows 2000 onward logon format, username at domain.com, to match the email address. But sometimes that's not always possible. An alternate logon ID allows you to pick a different address, uh, a different attribute, I should say, in your Active Directory. Yeah. Uh, and that's what... And I think that's pretty much solely limited to ADFS based environments. Oh yeah, sure. It's 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 an ADFS uh, feature anyway. Um, but you know, there's more to it than just, you know, pointing to a different attribute because you'll have to change the flow with with ThurSync anyway. So, uh, that's what it makes it, it it makes it a little bit more difficult than it you know, seems like. Um, it would be great if you could just point to a different attribute. 
which it's not at the moment. But at, you know, together with the AD, um, Azure AD Sync uh, preview that it just released, uh, they're making a lot of efforts to make that a lot better, uh, better than it used to be. So yeah. So so guys, uh, do you think this is um, interesting for hosters as well, since they have single AD connecting to multiple Office 365 tenants? To, to be honest, I'd say no, it's almost the other way around. So at the moment, you can already do that using Dersync, uh, assuming uh, a few different things are, are true. Uh, so if you are a hoster or you have multiple Office 365 tenants, you can use multiple Dersync appliances and you can scope those down to, for example, uh, per customer OUs. Uh, what you can't do is have... Uh, common domains uh, across those or duplicate attributes so if you've got uh, two customers sharing one domain which hopefully you won't then they'll have to share one tenant as well uh, and uh, if you want to have a common gal then you you'd have to populate those attributes a, a different way you know, and and on top of that, you know, I, I'm pretty sure there are hosters thinking about it, but I'm not quite sure that you know hacking around um, any of the solutions to make it work as a hybrid multi-tenants uh, offering, if that's the right name that I should give it, is a good idea. I mean, uh, it's like you know trying to force something which is made to not for that scenario work in your advantage. I doesn't seem like a very good idea. And, and on top of that, I don't see any benefit, or, or at least not right away, why a hoster would want to you know, connect to multiple tenants, except for offboarding them to Office 365, maybe. In, in which case, it might be better to use something like MigrationWiz. Yes, yeah, no, definitely, because it's, it's as you said, there's a lot of work involved. It's not easy. There's a lot of things that could go wrong. Um, so, I, I mean... It, it just seems hardly it hardly seems worth the effort so is is this a particular scenario you're thinking about Starlight or just yeah I guess general? because um, uh, you you have hosters uh, onboarding office three sixty five customers uh, where they have uh, are using uh, exchange online yeah. but uh, they want to use hosted link or or regular link with voice uh, so they need to have uh, a combined uh, uh, off-premise and, and on-premise solution. So and if, if the customer starts in Office 365 and, and grows into a more mature solution and, and want to use uh, voice and advanced features, uh, maybe holsters could uh, help out with that. So that so as long as they weren't trying to do anything hybrid for each individual customer, then it would be fairly simple. So uh, as long as they either have an attribute that says it's a particular customer or they scope it to a, a particular OU, uh, basically configuring the Dersync filtering, and then have one Dersync installation or a virtual machine per customer. Then but could you do this with using FIM? You wouldn't. Uh, you potentially could, but I don't think I wouldn't. To be honest, no. I'd just use the Dersync appliance um, because otherwise it would be probably quite unmaintainable um, and costly as well. Cool. Uh, at least well, with the Dersync appliance, it's just virtual machines. You every time there's a change, you just upgrade uh, what might be a what might be quite a few virtual machines, but you just upgrade a lot. 
Uh, I suppose it depends on the scale. Yeah, because from a cost perspective, I'm not sure. Well, you know, film is costly. That's that's for sure. Yeah. Um, but you know, they they recently announced some changes that now customers that have an uh, enterprise agreement, they could you know opt in for uh, Azure AD Premium, which has the film licenses in it. But is that which, film is that film counts or is that film server? Well, I think it's 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 film server. I'm I'm not sure. Is I that, think that's it's the film thing server. I heard, but. I didn't. I haven't followed it up yet, to be honest. So no, I, I still need to take a look into the details. But at least if that's if that's true, then it's it's much it's probably much cheaper. Um, depending on what they want to do, if they just you know have to buy Azure AD Premium through their EA just to have the licenses, I think it's it's pretty much the same cost. But if they have other features in the AD Premium that they're going to use, then it could be a a enabler for them. So it's 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 a pretty slick move for Microsoft actually. They just need to fix the the way the cookies work on Safari. It's my only one beef with service right now. <laughs> Every time you times out, you got to like kill the t- tab and start over again because it's you know a goofy way they kind of. <laughs> so how, how did we get from FIM to Safari? Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to complain about something. Man. <laughs> well, yeah, all, all the pros use Macs, you know that. That's right, baby. Uh, okay. Uh, I, did it, use, I did use a Mac for the last few episodes, but it broke, so I'm not anymore. I'm back on the PC, uh, which uh, is still doing weird volume things. So if you're an expert on Rode Podcaster microphones and you know why the volume keeps changing in Windows, then let me know, uh, because that would really help me out, because uh, I'm always having to change the volume when I record on Windows. Moving on, anyway. So, uh, we've got quite a few topics to get through today, and we're starting off with Exchange. Uh, he's not on the show today, uh, but fellow UC architect and uh, most followers of any Exchange MVP in the world, Paul Cunningham, Exchange Server Pro, has released a new PowerShell script for IIS log file and cleanup uh, and archive. And that's available now on his blog. Uh, so, uh, again, that's uh, one of those kind of things written for sysadmins by sysadmins, uh, where if you're getting log file build up and you need to do something about it and you haven't got a solution by this point already, then this script will help. Yes, um, it will. And, uh, you know, just on that note, to, to give Paul some credit, um, we're looking into deploying it on our Exchange servers because it's very, very cool, and uh, it, it helps us quite a bit because, uh, you know, Exchange 2013 can be a little bit, you know, uh, using a lot of disk space for log files and yeah. kind of having an automated way to get them away, move them anywhere else without having to delete them or tell someone to shift-delete them. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, I mean, it's pretty straightforward, but it's, it's, it's a very cool script, uh, and I think, you know, a lot of people will... We'll definitely be able to use it. I was thinking, uh, is this applicable to Link as well? Because uh, Link also uses IS, but not maybe not as much as Exchange. Yeah, I I don't see why it wouldn't. I would imagine, yeah. Yeah. Not sure. Uh, and it's about the IIS log pa- uh, um, uh, the IIS logs. So you know, anywhere where the log files are, you would be able to yeah. um, move them away. So. Typically, the biggest problem for Exchange admins is all your clients are, are doing things uh, to the logs, uh, whether that's an Outlook client, a Mac, or an ActiveSync client. They're all hammering away at uh, IIS all day long. So those log files for you yeah, know, yeah, typical organizations with a, a few hundred users, a few thousand users, you know, upwards, I should say, um, you know, you could be looking at half a gig of logs a day minimum. Yeah, I was just saying the ActiveSync really chews those up too. 
Yeah, uh, and that that's the the one thing uh, from some of my scripts that interpret the IS logs. Boy, they could be faster because when you're trying to chew a gigabyte log file for one day with one of my scripts, wow, it's painful. <laughs> So our, our next big uh, web server thing uh, out this week uh, doesn't affect IIS, so it's quite unusual. And some uh, Microsoft IT pros have been absolutely ecstatic about this. Uh, and that's this uh, Heartbleed bug in OpenSSL, uh, which for most Exchange and Link admins uh, might not be uh, such a, a blessing as they might first expect. Uh, because as many of you probably know, uh, most low balancers that we find on the market are not based on windows sadly they're really? based no they're not no they're based on linux which don't, is running open ssl mm. so lots of exchange implementations um that have been kept you know meticulously up to date uh, especially on their low balancer firmware uh, could well be uh, susceptible to the heart bleed uh bug in OpenSSL, and Yap Wasselius has written about that vulnerability, what load balances it affects, and, and how. Uh, the, the key message, though, is if you've got a load balancer and you think it's, you know, one by loadbalancer.org, Kemp, or F5 affected as well, it make sure that you double-check and see if it's up-to-date. DigiCert do have a Heartbleed vulnerability scan and detector tool. So if you've seen the DigiCert uh, tool for uh, the certificate expector, uh, inspector, well, that will do the Heartbleed vulnerability scan at the same time for you. So you can check both internal servers to find out what's vulnerable there, and you can also use it to... Uh, to, to check externally as well uh, and of course check uh, all your certificates are in order at the same time so uh, we'll put the links up to both of those on the, the website but yes uh, just because you are a Windows admin does not necessarily mean that you can be cheering on and to be honest uh, you shouldn't be cheering on anyway because I don't get Windows admins that say well this is brilliant Linux has, has got bugs too uh, because uh, as a, an email admin uh most of you are probably uh, aware that most of your spam is coming from Linux boxes that have been rooted anyway. So uh, compromised Linux boxes aren't new uh, at all. And that's me yeah. on the high horse for today. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, check out Yav's blog. <laughs> I'm not anti-Linux in any shape or form. Um, but, um, you know, uh, casting the first stone and all that sort of stuff, uh, kettles and pots and whatever. Uh, <laughs> moving on, anyway. Um, if you are trying to block yourself, uh, trying to, uh, I should say, if you are trying to block uh, Linux boxes that have been rooted, sending you lots and lots of spam, then you'll be pleased to hear about some Exchange Online protection enhancements. Uh, not only is it constantly getting better and better at, at fighting spam and uh, uh, saving the world from uh, Linux machines, uh, there's also some really good uh, Exchange Online protection enhancements that uh, we can talk about. So. Uh, uh, domain keys is one area uh, that is, is coming soon to exchange online protection. And Dave Stork, who isn't on the show, I think he's been asking about that for absolutely ages. And for some customers, it's had to have uh, third-party appliances that support it. Um, but uh, if you if you moved over from Foppy and your end users are missing uh, access to their quarantine online, then they'll be very pleased to hear that user access to spam quarantine is coming soon. Uh, is this anything that uh, your customers have been asking for? Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
Good. Yes. I mean, I, I, as, a, as a customer myself, this is really annoying because I have to go in for the for the whole family and go in and pull stuff out and say, no, no, this is not spam. This is not spam. So if I could make my wife and child do it themselves, I'd be much happier. <laughs> yeah, you know. You're introducing them to that. Uh. <laughs> I mean, if, if you get used to managing your own quarantine, try living without it. Uh, especially the larger the company gets, the, the more problems it gives. So I, I have a customer, um, a pr- fairly large customer, like 16K uh, or 12, 12 to 16K people. Um, they used Phobie for quite a uh, quite a long time, and they were yeah. all you know managing their own quarantines. And then all of a sudden, they have to be moved off to EOP, and they're being told, hey, by the way, you don't have quarantine anymore like the way you used to. But that you get is the notifications, a you get the emails, you don't have to log in, get an email sure. with your, your spam quarantine, you can press a link in the email to get a notification now, and then you can press the release, you don't need to log in or nothing, is that not not no, good enough? Sure. No, 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 it's, it's a loss of functionality, what you yeah. had isn't what you're getting, or well, it, it will soon become you know pretty on par again, uh, I mean, but if you have a feature and that you're used to using that feature and it works for you, having to give up that feature for something else is really difficult, and you know, the more people <laughs> complain about it, the, the more difficult it becomes, so I'm, you know, I'm really ecstatic that it's, it's coming back, um, and that it's coming back soon. Yeah, I mean, and, if, and again, you know, it's always the, the case. You know, people. You know, it's one thing not having a feature, but it's one thing if having a feature and then you go to a new thing and you lose that feature. That tends to piss people off. So, you know, it's like, we had this before. Why can't we have it again? You know. So, to, uh, I mean, I, I've moved a few customers over to Foppy from, uh, in my eyes, more uh, feature-packed alternatives um, because Foppy, you know, good, but. Uh, not not quite as polished as some of its competitors and they have expected the users to really be disappointed uh, in the functionality that they got as they moved across and no one cared uh you know yeah i gotta say even just as a because i recently um you know, I, we talked about it on the last podcast or not, but I, I, you know, I had uh, uh, I have exchanger at the house, obviously, and in my own environment, I had a, a 2010 Edge and and forefront, you know, on prem running, and you yeah. know, that's gone now. So when I did the 20th, when it was, it was pack one came out, I, I updated my my Edge to 2013, you know, and then I'm realizing, you know, the built-in anti-spam is not exactly stellar, right? So I looked for an alternative, and I was actually reusing Interscan's appliance, which is actually really good, but then the trial is coming up, so I'm like, well, what am I gonna do? So I ended up sending my MSH records to service, and um, yeah. I was less than thrilled with the quality initially. I mean, again, now that I've gone in and and told it, you know, what things to stop picking up, it's gotten better. But I was kind of surprised on how um, how aggressive it was, you know. And it was just, it was pulling like an obnoxious stuff and saying it was spam. It's like, dude, this is my my bank, you know. It's like, <laughs> you know come on, you kind of need that, you know. Uh, I mean, to, to be honest, compared to to rolling your own. Uh, and getting the ultimate in customizability, um, or buying a third-party solution. Yes, it is almost a, a take it or leave it. You know, switch it on, and you've got a few little tweaks that you can change uh, for FOPI or EOP, but you haven't got a lot that you can do. But that's a blessing in disguise because if you don't have to make a lot of changes to it, and it does work for you, which it does for a lot of organisations, that's good. But um, when you're trying to show the comparison of this is what your existing one does, but, you know, this is what you're already paying for as well, and you can save a lot of money by moving to it, it uh, it can feel like a poor cousin to, to some of the other solutions out there. Um, and 
Uh, and that that's not great. So do, do you think they've got better at blocking spam? Because I didn't think they were that bad in the first place. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I said, I think it's just more was a, an, an aggressive thing. And again, you know, it's also learning you know, on my part. I didn't realize, you know, the default was to quarantine with no, you know, or well, not even to quarantine was to, it's, is to block, you know. Um, so I wasn't seeing anything in the quarantine, but I'm like, uh, I'm not getting enough mail, you know. And I decided to go in and kind of learn, you know, how this was set up. So part of it's just, you know, my, my fault, but user error. Uh, to, to be honest, in the, the two or three years that I've I've been using Office 365 at home, I've not had to change anything from the defaults. And when I've set it up for customers, I've not ch- had to change a lot. It's more matching their existing behavior uh, to try and match, uh, you know, spam quarantine notifications, uh, whether stuff goes into junk mail or whether it goes into quarantine, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but the actual level of blocking, I thought was was reasonably good out of the box. Uh, so it's so it's interesting to know that it's not the same for everybody. Uh, yeah, I think I said, and I, I haven't, you know, I've, you've got to stop like, sending rude emails to your wife. That's, that's <laughs> well, and again, it's one of those things like, you know, I don't, I don't, I haven't had to deploy, you know, a solution like this, or you know, I haven't, I haven't looked at like, you know, Symantec or Trend or any of those in a long time. So it was interesting to see, you know, where Interscan was at. And I think, you know, Interscan, it's, I can't say enough. I mean, I was, you know, thrilled by how good it was, but, um, you know, I didn't want to actually pay for it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I got to go find something else. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's not bad anyway, um, but uh, it's getting better. It's being improved. Yeah, I agree. That's what we like to see. I mean, the, the thing I, I wish most... there was more of like an online or like a, you know an offline queue viewer though instead of the web page. But yeah, because I'm old school. Uh, I mean, to, to be honest, I prefer it to be very much like I, I like that it's more integrated and it feels like you're just managing transport rather than managing a whole separate product. Uh, I mean, that what that does mean is there's some confusion. So uh, one of my customers from uh, the company I used to work for still keeps in touch and he said, I've just been moved over from Foppy to EOP. I want to switch off directory-based edge blocking. Where do I find it? And of course, you know, if you think like an exchange admin, it's really obvious. You turn it to an internal relay domain. But if you're if you're thinking like an anti-spam product, then you it, it becomes a little bit alien. And that, that seems to be the trick with EOP. Think of it as managing exchange transport. Uh, some new features uh, in addition to that anyway. So a new match subdomains feature. So uh, if you use subdomains with your primary accepted domain in Office 365, then you can have subdomains matched as well if you're pointing the MX records to those uh, instead of having to add them all one by one into Office 365. Uh, you can manage users and groups directly in the Exchange Admin, uh, admin Center. Oh, very good. Uh, so that's probably more interesting if you're just moving to EOP and you don't want two places to, to manage users. If you're an Office 365 customer and you're looking at these new features, then that's not really going to be a big new thing for you. And uh, Geo Affinity is being expanded. If you want to keep mail in region, then they're expanding that to try and keep the mail closer to you. Uh, so uh, in particular, they're expanding the geographic affinity for EOP to the Asia-Pacific region uh, rather than any APAC data centers. Uh, 
Um, but yeah, so so if you if you don't know what that means, basically that means that if you sign up to Office 365 or Exchange Online Protection, then mail for you you and your tenant stays within that region. So if someone emails you from America, then it'll hit uh, an MX record for Exchange Online Protection uh, in Europe. If someone emails you from Europe, it'll stay in Europe. It's not, it's not going to go outside of that traversing Microsoft's data centers. So some good new improvements for Exchange Online Protection. And uh, it's, it's good to see improvements, isn't it? Absolutely. And just, you know, to give, to give one positive note to EOP, uh, well, there are many positive notes, but one thing that I really love is the fact that it, uh, it doesn't throttle email. One of the things I found out recently is that um, one of the competitors, Postini, if you go from Ooh. Europe to Boom. United States, yeah, I know, I know, I know, some companies are using it, um, but if you send emails from the United States to Europe or the other way around using Postini, they actually throttle those emails and send them out in bursts. So there's always a delay of four or five minutes before the email actually gets where it has to be. And that's so annoying. I really, so annoying. Yeah, that's BS. Yeah, to be honest, I, I do. Because it's Google. They're sending out Google. <laughs> Google can scan it and read it. No, honestly, I, I didn't. I didn't Excuse know. Excuse me. Before you say that, I should caveat that that's your opinion, and you're not saying that's in any way fact. Um, but that, things like that are are really important to some customers, uh, and that you know that that is critical. And uh, I was I worked with a customer uh, over the last few weeks where that is key. You know, a five minute delay in inbound or outbound mail. Uh, is not good at all and really, really not wanted. What you do get, and I sound like an Office 365 salesman uh, here, but you do get an SLA for the timely delivery of email in AOP and Office 365, and uh, and that counts towards the SLA. So I think the aim is to be under one minute and they keep on monitoring to make sure it is so. Um, but third-party solutions that say, and I'm not going to name any names, um, but some third-party solutions that say that uh, you know they're perfect partners for Office 365. Don't use EOP, use them instead. Were brilliant. Uh, the, these customers have had big problems with timely delivery of messages. Uh, with Exchange Online Protection, if you look at the headers, what you'll see is it hitting an Exchange server on the edge, then an Exchange server internally, and then it landing in the mailbox, basically. And that's a nice number of hops in my eyes. And that's, I think that wraps up our Exchange topics. We'll be coming back for a little bit of Office 365 in a bit. Um, but the, the bulk of today's show is all about Link. Uh, so let's start off with our biggest topic with Starlay and a new regular feature. So let's welcome Starlay back to the show for using Link like a pro. Thank you, Steve. So, um, I wanted to uh, have a segment on the show called uh, Using a Link Like a Link Pro. So, this segment is for you Link Pros out there um, using Link uh, and uh, uh, all, all the stuff you can do um, that you maybe don't want to tell your users you are doing, but uh, are cool <laughs> for you to do. So not everything here will be applicable to roll out in an organization, but uh, could be useful for you as a, a link pro. Uh, I, either you are an administrator or a uh, pro user or a consultant or uh, what gives. So um, to start off this segment, I wanted to talk about uh, Greg Sheridan's uh, new link script. Uh, you run it for on your uh, link um, 
computer, <laughs> your your Windows uh, 8 or 7, uh, where you have your Link Desktop Client installed. So this applies to the Link Desktop Client, and most of the the pro tips applies to to the desktop clients. So uh, this particular uh, script uh, is called set link 2013 client warnings. So what it does, it it um, suppresses or opens up all the warnings you get when uh, closing uh, chat windows, uh, closing the window of a um, call uh, that is in action, or a conference, or if you're sharing your desktop, or uh, having people control your desktop, you get all these pop-ups. And uh, if you're like me, like reinstalling your computer or moving between different computers, um, you, you you know have been using Link for a while, but uh, you still have a fresh install. Well, then uh, just disabling these pop-ups um, would maybe save your day. Uh, one less click, uh, one less checkbox to uh, to check, and. Um, it also has a feature that uh, deletes the registry entries because the, these are registry entries, uh, and uh, which reset your client, so you get all the pop-ups if you want to show them to someone else or experience the link as a new user. So the the um, pop-ups you are talking about is uh, like um, closing this window will end the current phone call. Still want to close it? Yes, I do. I click the X. I want to close it. Uh, and uh, stuff like uh, need to leave uh, the link meeting. Don't worry, the meeting will continue for anyone who's still there. Of course, I know this been working with Link for eight years. So, well, um, if uh, you are like me and, and and want to control this, you can uh, download the script from um, uh, created by MVP Greg Sheridan. He's an MVP now, and uh, you can run the script on your computers and um, add the registry entries or remove the registry entries. Uh, I discovered one caveat, though. Um, if you have been using a link client um, and uh, want to use it as a link pro, uh, where he adds the um, D-word uh, register entries, uh, if you already have had the pop-up box, uh, the entry will already be there, so he won't change anything of uh, um, registry entries that's already there. So if you want to have uh, a, a complete reset of your, your client, you should uh, run the script um, with the first example, uh, with the default um, parameter, and then run the expert or guru uh, parameters, which actually does the, the same thing. So I will, I'll notify Greg about this, and maybe he will change it, or maybe he did it for a reason. So, yep, this was the first tip of our uh, using link as a link pro segment. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. And as always, thank you very much. Greg. Yeah, so, um, so if you don't know him, he's the, the guy behind uh, Profiles for Link as well, uh, which is uh, another essential tool that we've mentioned a few times. Uh, the link to that's going to be on our show uh, for you today. Uh, well, one thing I'll, I'll need to find out, maybe that's a research topic for you next time, to stop the auto volume uh, in Link uh, from working, because that's, uh, that's something that makes me feel like a complete uh, amateur when using Link, uh, on, especially on this show. But thank you very much for, for that story. Um, yeah, so also in, in the future, um, I, I guess I, I will start a, link, uh, a LinkedIn um, discussion. And uh, so everyone can uh, join in and add their pro tips, and I will go through them and uh, and talk about them in the show. 
Fantastic. So uh, we'll, we'll put a link to, to that group uh, in our LinkedIn group. And hopefully if it's up in time for the show, uh, we'll put that up uh, with the show notes uh, today. So thanks for that. Uh, our next link topic today. Uh, so the PowerShell script out now uh, to monitor peak call capacity in link uh, to help you with your PSTN trunk sizing. Uh, that's up there now. Yeah, so so this is a script uh, created by uh, Rune Stockness, which is an old colleague of mine uh, here in Norway. And uh, it's about monitoring the um, activity on the mediation server role uh, and, and reporting of how, many, how much activity you have. And he does that for every, I, I think it was every 15 seconds. Uh, and it's based on an old script uh, created by uh, MVP and MCM um, um, Tom Pasik. Uh, and it was a great script, but it stopped working. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so Runa got ahead and, and created this script. Uh, it's uh, for 2010 server, though. Uh, and what it does, it's, uh, it, it monitors um, uh, the counters for the mediation role uh, and report on how many current calls you have because that's not reported anywhere else in the link server. And uh, I usually want to use this in uh, typical in a migration perspective where we can um, use this tool to know uh, how, how big a SIP trunk uh, maybe we need or how we need to scale our mediation server so we don't get any surprises. So we don't overscale it or, or, or underscale, especially the SIP trunk. Um, and uh, so it's a useful tool, and uh, it's good to know what kind of activity you have on, the, on your zip trunks. So it potentially could save you some money. Of course. Yeah, exactly. Value uh, the size better instead of just guessing. Good stuff. So, uh, so I'm looking forward to when Runa is updating this for um, 2013 as well. Our, our next topic is uh, more for Microsoft partners, um, I'd say. Uh, so Microsoft have a SIP-fed IP address change coming up. Uh, so that means that uh, if you have, I suppose, firewall rules to allow the IP address for SIPFed.Microsoft.com, uh, then you'll need to update those now. Um, but generally... And uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, that's uh, really applicable if you're federating with Microsoft themselves. Uh, so if you add people in Link and you've had to ask them to do a federation request in the past, uh, then this is relevant to you. Uh, we'll put a link up to that in the show, but again... Yeah, it's May 9th. Uh, evening in, in May 9th is going to happen. Yeah, so... So, John, do you think this is... Uh, anyone's going to be affected by this? Um... Well, I mean, obviously, it's just a, it's just, they're just changing the IP address um, for the SIPFED record. So um, anyone's, you know, I mean, I'm, but yeah, if you have uh, edge servers for whatever reason that are hard-coded with DNS or you're not looking at publicly facing DNS, you know, and, and not updating that DNS, then you might run into trouble. Actually, I, you know, now that I think about it in my own environment, uh, I, one of the environments I work on, that actually might be a problem for them, <laughs> I think, because they, <laughs> they point inside for their edges DNS and... Uh, and uh, i got to make sure that, 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 that we'll see that record. Cool. Yep. We'll have a, a link to that on the show today. And uh, John, uh, our resident Mac expert and Google <laughs> How about that? fan. <laughs> hey, so, now. The, you got one right. <laughs> so, 
Uh, okay, Google fanboy, Mac <laughs> fanboy. They're the same sort of thing, aren't they? They're not Microsoft anyway. Uh, they're, they're both the they're both the bad side. Uh, I, I'm always being accused of uh, being uh, too pro iOS on Mac because uh, I've just replaced my wife's Windows Phone with uh, an iPhone, and she's very very happy about it. She hated Windows Phone. Ah, but uh, if you're using, I'm actually looking at buying another. I'm, I, I really kind of want. Well, you know, I make, you know, Dave Tucker from Inventor's got that 1520 yeah. Lumia, and I and it's just so obnoxiously big. But I don't know why I feel compelled. I want it. So I've been I, sort of debating for the past couple of weeks. I'm like, should I buy this thing or what? Cause especially with I don't. Update. I don't have small hands particularly at all. I have average sized hands. Maybe that thing's maybe huge. Slow. It's cool. The screen's gorgeous. Actually, though, but actually it's not not that huge. Uh, it actually fits in, in your pocket. I've been using it for really? about a month now. Yeah. Uh, and it pockets. works really well for my yeah, main right, activity. Exactly. Can you fit an iPad in them as well? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But so it works really well for my main activity, which is uh, reading emails and browsing the web. <laughs> and I, I, uh, I looked at my phone bill, and I did 21 phone calls with it last month. So it's really so. like a, a tablet-type thing. <laughs> well, I mean, it's yeah, like and we were actually using it for navigation, um, and, you know, I'm holding this thing... I'm like, God, it's huge. But, you know, you think, yeah, if you're using it for navigation, Someone it really uses it for suck, navigation. You know? How do they see out the windscreen with that in the way? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, you so have it in the lap, so you need to look down. But, yeah, so, so I've got slightly bigger than average hands, uh, you know, just because of what they say about hands. and the, uh, They're not average. They're slightly bigger than average. And I, I have trouble with the, the 920. It just feels too big in my hand. Uh, you know, I, I my thumb can just about reach the other side of it and stuff like that. So I wouldn't really... I, you know, I, I prefer to do a bit of one-handed uh, phone usage. I was going to say one-handed surfing, but that sounds very wrong. Um, I, one-handed phone usage. So I, I like to be able to type text messages with one hand. I don't like to have have to use both hands on a yeah, phone. Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, same thing. I have the 8X, and that's one beef I have with um, the 8X. Like, you know, also the power, the, how, the way the power button's designed and where they put it is the no- yeah. design. But, but, I mean, it's really, you know, you almost have to use it with two hands. You know what I mean? And that's the thing. It's just kind of a, a rub, but... But, and this will I, apply when they bring out a bigger iPhone. But my, uh, you know, if I have my iPhone in my hand, I can reach the top corner without really having to stretch. But I really sort of struggle to even get to the other side uh, on my Lumia 925. And the the worst thing about these Nokia phones is you replace it and then you want to go and sell it. They're worth nothing. No one wants them. <laughs> but seriously. Yep. Uh, so, you know, uh, an iPhone that came out at the same time as uh, a Lumia 920, you'll get £200 for. But for a, a 920, you'll get £45, which is about $80 or something like that. And that, that's, that's terrible, because the phone is worth much more than that. Yeah, because uh, all, uh, all the people that want a Lumia have one. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've been looking for one on eBay, you know, get one cheap. I mean, I could, buy, I could get it under the AT&T Next plan for like 30 or 20-something bucks a month, but um, I was just looking at it, we're trying to buy one. But the thing about the 1520 is that uh, it has this crazy long battery life, like uh, two or three days. That's yeah. Insane. It's crazy. It's uh, like forever for if you're a Microsoft guy. It's because it's, it's a tablet. <laughs> so yeah. that is why next time I'm uh, I'm in the States, I'm going to buy one because uh, I've got a 1020 and the battery is rubbish. Uh, but now that I hear that it, oh, no, it's it's awful. It's It doesn't last a day. It's worse than my Lumia 810, 800, whatever I had before. Um, and it, it just kills me. I need to run around with a spare battery to, you know, last through the day. Even though I like the phone a lot, I mean really, really good. 
Um, but I just need more battery time. And uh, mine, mine, nine two five, pretty much last two days. Yeah, so so does the Lumia fifteen twenty. Yeah, I can't see my five S. So now you get an awesome <laughs> phone and battery life. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. almost as good as an iPhone. Well, and Dave was saying that the <laughs> download speeds. I mean, not that it's a big deal, but he's saying the download speeds were like a, like ridiculously fast. I don't know if they're using some kind of specific. Radio chipset or something, but you seen like the, the the LTE speeds were were insanely fast. I don't I don't know. And it also have um, wireless AC. Um, yeah. So I mean, we're going a bit off topic. For so that was we'll, we'll get on to link for we'll get we'll get on to our, our link for Mac update in a second. Um, but as, as, as everyone put on this eight point one update, then. Yeah, uh, I have on my eight uh, X. Yeah, so for so from an, an exchange uh, MVP point of view, what 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 I liked most was my email logo changed to an exchange logo. That that, I, that was it. That's all I needed. I've got a lovely exchange logo on my front page. So the first thing I did, changing it from just a single tile to a big massive tile uh, for my email. So uh, that that and being able to fit more tiles on the screen, I really really like that. Um, but yeah, also, I really like the interface uh, change a lot, and that makes and, the uh, biggest difference because I don't know why, but suddenly it feels less bland and boring now that i can have a, a background behind all the tiles uh and have more tiles as well be able to slice them and dice them a bit more that's the, i i just think suddenly it feels like a much much better phone yeah i, I they still need to work on uh, and i'm not saying ios's implementation of this is, is great either but the resizing stuff and moving tiles around it's still kind of clunky you know it doesn't like automatically fill in the spaces you know, and you got kind of like you know drag ones up at the bottom if you move so yeah. they just need to you know tweak that a little bit but um but no i'm 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 pretty pleased with the changes um i haven't really i can't really the the swipey keyboard thing i can't really figure out too much um that, so i haven't been using that so much again that's you know i, I with the the one-handed uh, using the phone stuff, uh, that's that's where it's really been useful because I'm used to typing on an iPhone, so I'm used to it doing autocorrect and doing a reasonably good job of autocorrect. So I can type on that without having to look at it while I'm typing. So if I, I've just got it in my hand, I can type reasonably quickly with my thumb. But I can't do that with a Windows phone at all. However, with this swipe feature, you just basically move your... I, I know that you, people are going to go, yeah, I've had swipe for years on my Android device and stuff like that. But um, but this is new to me because I've never installed one of those apps on an, on an iPhone uh, or whatever device. Uh, so I thought it was really good because now I, it seems to guess most of the stuff. It can't guess stuff that uh, it doesn't know, though. So it... Yeah, the Wi-Fi... The Wi-Fi cheater is pretty slick too. I haven't actually tried it out because I haven't taken it out, out, you know, anywhere. But, but I can see that being. I mean, that's kind of a feature I think that everyone should immediately rip off and put in their, you know. What's that? The Wi-Fi. Well, I call it the Wi-Fi cheater. So basically, you put in like like it'll automatically connect to Wi-Fi and like put in dummy like so so like you know airports for free Wi-Fi. We have or a hotel. We got to get you know go through that launch page before you actually get data flowing. It'll like kind of just put a bogus. You know, someone at someone.com and like you know, kind of autofill those in and get oh, you on that right, network. Okay. I, mean, I, guess I haven't tried it yet, but that's how that's it's supposed to work. One step on from what iOS does, instead of remembering your details, it autofills it for you. Yeah, exactly. Well, oh, it basically cool. just gives it's like a built in dummy logon for all those kind of sites and just automatically applies it because cool. you don't have to go through the splash screen. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I'm sure, like, you know, hotels and stuff are going to hate that but the, the, <laughs> and block it probably. But. The, the other weird thing that's, I mean, I turned it off to be honest, but um, I, uh, because 
I don't know who it's going to class as my contacts, work colleagues, LinkedIn friends, Facebook friends, um, but it offered to, um, to to share my Wi-Fi details with people. Yes. And I wasn't sure about that because I, I, I've got Twitter friends who I don't actually go around their house. Or I've got Facebook friends from school that I don't go around their house and see very often, if at all, ever. So, so I was a bit nonplussed with that feature. But in theory, it sounded really good, um, except for the fact that everyone whose house I go to, I've already done that and you know use their wi-fi code in theory it sounds like a great feature because you know you you can say all my facebook friends now can use my wi-fi if they're going past my house did anyone leave that on i think i have it on are you going to be switching it off off. i turn it off it's a it's a bit of a weird one but it's yeah you can you can yeah you can set it this you can turn off facebook friends but leave like you know you can you can choose like outlook.com contact skype and I, I, it might be depending on which services you have added right yeah i don't um, really know who i've got so as, you can turn off facebook specifically i don't know who i've got as windows live messenger x contacts or whatever i don't use that bit that's the bit i never get about uh, uh windows phones because i stopped using all the the live stuff so long ago and when I log in, I just get a list of my Facebook friends in the, the contacts list. So maybe I've got to have a, a look more into that and understand what the hell's going on with Windows Phone. But it's it's, it's an innovative feature. Uh, I'd like it more if they brought that a feature like that across platform because not many people have just one brand of phone. You know, all our family members, you know, most people got Android, haven't they? Uh, unfortunately. Yeah, but most people have Androids, and a feature like that would be really useful because I do want my actual family to be able to just use my Wi-Fi because my wife's always like, you know, what's the Wi-Fi password again? Oh, Steve, why does it have to be so card? Why can't, can't you make it easier? And the amount of times I have to type it in for people, and it would be ever so useful if it just worked uh, at all my relative houses. So that's that, kudos to Microsoft for quite an innovative feature. Which yeah, I agree. I mean, there's a lot of things in here that that you know you think like okay, well you know everything everything that can be done in these mobile devices has been, but I mean they pull a lot of stuff. And also you know they you know they there's a, they they definitely caught up a you know parody with a lot of stuff. I think I put that on Twitter when when you know it came out. I mean you know they 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 definitely closed a lot of gaps that they were clearly had. And in some ways you know like it's better the the uh, the the, um, the customization like for the you know the drop down notification stuff. Um, the, you know, that's still something that iOS won't let you do, which still pisses me off to this day. It's like, great, I can turn a Wi-Fi on and off by sliding up, but I don't want the flashlight there. I, you know, I want to also put like internet sharing. Why do I got to go settings to turn on hotspot? You know, it's drop like, down customization. What's that? Yeah, like you know, from the top you can you can turn on you know turn off Wi-Fi, turn on Bluetooth, but you can actually yeah. change which which things are in there. You know. Oh, you so, can. So I can, can I change that so it it has uh, Wi-Fi sharing. Yeah, I did that. Oh, cool. Idea. That's that's the thing that you know. And so switching on all this kind of stuff takes me ages. And uh, the Wi-Fi sharing is the one thing that I do on my Windows Phone a lot. So yeah, Ooh, I have learned something today. If you <laughs> What's all about learning, baby? Yeah. If you <laughs> haven't got uh, the the Windows Phone uh, 8.1 preview yet, then we'll link to how to do that. Basically, it's very simple. You sign up as a developer, uh, which you can do for free, and then you inst- uh, then you install a preview, a developer preview app, which enables you to get uh, the preview update. And then you check for updates. And yeah, it should be good now. 
the day uh, the day they released it, those ser- the Microsoft servers just fell over because everyone was trying to get on that site and get registered. It was inst- it was horrible. But if you go to like to Paul Therott's, uh Super Win Super site, he has like instructions on how to do it. If if uh, if you didn't see that already. Yeah, one thing I, I also like to mention is that uh, Windows Apron phone uh, comes with a. Uh, a podcast application, which is really it quite does, good. yes. And it makes, unfortunately, more or less the work of Johan uh, obsolete. But it, you can... No. Uh, subs- <laughs> well, well, doesn't yes. contain a logo. But, uh, yeah, oh, you can uh, looks, search it, for podcasts and subscribe to it, and you can it looks, uh, let the it app looks download excellent. them in the background when you're connected to Wi-Fi. So, it's so yeah, launch nice. the podcast. So what do you guys think about Cortana so far? Well, let, just one last thing on this uh, podcast app. You launch the podcast app, search for the UC Architects, and it looks fantastic. It looks like our app if you've seen that. So black background, our black logo, it looks brilliant. And unfortunately, uh, you can't yet find uh, our Office 365 FM friends uh, as easily. I think it just finds the one episode, but I, I think they're working on bringing their uh, podcast up to speed as well. Uh, so you can get all your Office 365 news anywhere you want using that new app. Absolutely fantastic. And it's nice to see they're slowly catching up with iOS. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Cortana, I mean, again, I... Siri, for I, uh, Siri for Windows Phone. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's the thing. I really don't use Siri that much, to be honest, on my phone. Um I just there's just a, a weird thing about talking to the phone for me, and again, and, and people do it on public, and you're trying to do it on the busy street, and just buses driving by. I'm like, you look like an idiot, so quit talking. You know, just type the damn thing in, which you know. <laughs> but I mean, this it is really compelling. She's pretty damn accurate. I'm sort of, uh, I was surprised how good it actually is out of the box. So far. what were you expecting with Cortana? Well, just to be like you know as useless as Siri sometimes, <laughs> you know? but but so far it's been actually pretty cool. And, and again, like you know, again, if you know, if you're a Halo fan, for those of you who don't know, Cortana is the AI uh, kind of voice in uh, in in uh, in the Halo series. Um, so there's a lot of Halos, like you know, Easter eggs if you ask her certain things in there. Right. So I mean, she's got a cool personality, you know. Right. Uh, mine doesn't seem that interesting so far. I, I couldn't find <laughs> it to start with. So I'm like, I've downloaded the update. I'm like, really think, thinking, ah, oh, this will be good. So I press the search button, thinking that must be it. And then I realize after about five minutes that actually I'm just doing Bing search um, or Bing voice search. I'm like, this is rubbish. This is no good. And uh, then I realized I hadn't got it at all. So if you can't find it, you need to pretend to be an American. And I don't think you have to talk to it in a bad American accent. Um, but uh, you can if you want. Um, but you have to set your region settings to US and set your keyboard, oh, your input language, I think, to US as well. And once you've done that, uh, reboot the phone and you too get Cortana. And I'll do a little intro into what it is. Um, but yeah, so if you're outside uh, of the US, then you won't get it by default. Um, but it's 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 nice to see, and uh, I I have a, a proper pro with it. I didn't realise it was based on Halo. I thought it was based on um, a Ford Cortina car. Um, <laughs> why I don't know, but uh, you know Microsoft, you never know, do you? Uh, so yeah, so it's got a cool new feature. And yeah, she's, I, I, she's I, I, funny I, I, too. Yeah, I mean it's got a good. And again, like you know, my, you know how uh, <laughs> you guys are so sad. <laughs> you, You're you laughing with a, your phone a little fast, um, and she's actually. You know, cause sometimes Siri doesn't understand a damn thing I say, but she's been actually pretty accurate. I'm, I'm Siri, can you make me laugh? <laughs> I can't. I always forget the punchline. 
it worked for the first time ever. <laughs> it never usually works. Um, uh, so, well, again, you know, I, so, so all things being equal. Welcome Sorry, to but, the world of it working in front of uh, working by when you're by yourself, but then when you try and show anyone how good it is, it doesn't work at all. Of course, right. So yeah, so uh, welcome to to 2011, guys. Um, <laughs> I've never. Well, you know, again, and, and I like the fact they're going after Google now. That kind of concept, because again, you know, that's the thing. I so what does Google now? Twitter. I've I've had okay, an Android well, phone for a few years, and I've never wanted can, to even use any of that stuff. Yeah, you can enable it on um, the iOS. It doesn't work as well on the iOS app, the Google app, but it's the same kind of thing. So basically, what it does is, you know, like what what Google's good at, scanning your info and then and bubbling things up that you might yeah. want to see. But in order to do that, they have to have access to all your stuff, right? So if you sign in and turn all this stuff on and you, you use Google to you, you do your searches, then, you know, you search on a sports team. Those kind of things start bubbling up into the cards. Um, you know, it knows, you know, if you're, if you're going to the same address every day to go to work, it might pop up on the card, hey, traffic sucks, you should leave now, you know? So how does that um, work that if you're stuff. like a consultant or you don't go to the same place every day? Well, then it's useless, right? I mean, for me, yeah. it's like, you know, That's, you know, but, that was yeah, the thing my, that my, my commute to work is like 35 steps, you know, <laughs> so, it's, so, you know, so that's what sounded most interesting to me. And then I realized it couldn't look at my calendar and go, oh, you know, location is London. Oh, you better leave now. The train's Well, delayed. that's the thing. And, and exactly. Right. The, the so biggest problem I, I have is that you have to use Google services, right? Um, it won't look at your, you know, exchange inbox and, uh, and, and use that information uh, to do, right. um, you know, to, 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 to get any data out of it. So I don't use Gmail. I'm never going to use Gmail, uh, you know, and, and so that's, you know, so that's completely, it's useless to me. But no matter what, even if I, you know, I, I just don't trust Google with that info, and, and I well, never Well, go- right? Google search, as I, as I proved to you earlier, is much better than Bing. Uh, when I searched Nonsense. for Exchange 2000, well, I, I, I proved it. <laughs> I searched for Exchange 2010, <laughs> Service Pack 3, Update Rollup 5, and Bing came back with a bunch of other websites, and then right at the bottom it had Exchange 2010, Update Rollup 5 for Service Pack 1. You typed it in wrong. I didn't. I did not type it in wrong. <laughs> so, so yeah, being. But still, yeah. I mean, that's my thing. I mean, Google you know, is fantastic Google. for search. I, I, and I think you know, there's nothing like wrong with having a devil. bunch of tools and picking the and right. Every time tool you for the use job. them, you feed them. It's like it's like feeding a monster. And if you just stop feeding it, oh. no search, they would go away. Go See, away. You can kill them a little bit every time by not using. Every time you use Bing, you like, like stick a little needle in, in 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 Google's eye, and eventually they'll be blind and then die. <laughs> and I will rejoice and dance. Okay. <laughs> on that note, on that note, before we have, before someone has to edit out all of that and we go too far, let's move on, shall we? Um, well, one point on Cortana. What I want to see is when they bring it out for the UK, I want to see transcription coming to Unified Messaging. They'll have no excuse by that point. That that's what I think anyway. I'd love to see some Cortana UM integration. Well, not only that, the same. Sp- Text-to-speech engine is also used to. You can also use to compose messages, if I'm not mistaken. Exactly, exactly. So unified messaging uh, doesn't get a lot of love, but it should get a lot of love because of its close integration with Link, PSDN projects, and because of the cool stuff it should be able to do, but people don't trust it to do. We all see, we've all seen hilarious voice transcriptions by unified messaging. Well, let's let, let's see some of the Cortana technologies in that, uh, especially in Office 365. You know, I'd be happy for that to be a, an Office 365 first feature where they use Cortana in the background to do the voice transcription, for example. That would be cool. That's where I'd like to see that kind of technology used. Okay, then. 
Yeah. Yeah, so, all, you know, all, all around with the update, it's a, it's a definitely, um, you know, there's still things I'd like to see them improve. But, yeah. Uh, but, I, but also, I mean, and that being said, there's a lot of things that I would love to see in Windows 8.1, you know, desktop, like immediately, like, you know, without, without even, you know, a lot of this stuff should be going right to the desktop as well, you know. Um, and I'm, I'm sure they're bringing some of this stuff. Well, yeah, that, but that, that's what we all, as customers of Microsoft, all consultants want to see. We want to see Microsoft working closer together to bring all this kind of innovative stuff to different products. So to the desktop, to Exchange, to Office 365, uh, and, it, and it being part of some plan rather than them all doing different things under completely different strategies. You know, if they bring it together as this is our voice interaction strategy, this is how we're going to execute it in Office 365, this is how it's going to work on the desktop, this is how it's going to work on the phone, that would be quite compelling. Um, whether we'll see that, I doubt it, but, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to dream, you know? That's the kind of thing Google might be more inclined to do, to be fair, uh, in the, the same way that they bring search and all their technologies to, to their whole portfolio. Anyway, yeah, moving, but like I said, moving on. Yeah, just one thing, and we were talking about a before we started recording, but, but yeah. uh, that, that kind of Google Now functionality came to desktop uh, Bing as well, which is pretty slick, I think. Cool. If you use Bing, which I do. So voice search on Bing. No, but like like the same kind of cards thing. So once right. so the same, you kind of unified the you know interest, travel, sports, whatever that is right. that, that okay. is getting picked up on the phone. Um, also, it's going to you know it's part of your Bing personality now. So um, whatever you want to say, profile. Um, so that kind of you know, like, kind of sounds like what you were saying was bad about what Google were doing. Exactly, but it's the thing. I, I don't mind Microsoft. That's I think that's a, that's what it comes down to. I I trust Microsoft, right? Until they give me a reason not to. Yeah. But you know, I, I'm not skeeved out by Microsoft having information. I'm most definitely skeeved out by Google having that kind of stuff. So that's why I don't never. You know, I've never used that kind of stuff, right? Well, it's it's reassuring to know that you actually have researched that, and you you know you you know the downsides of both. So uh, props to you for that. Uh, so tell us about uh, the link for Mac 2011 hotfix then. Yeah, I mean, for people that run this client, um, you, re you know, most people realize that it's better than nothing, but it's definitely way behind in parity. Is um, it bad? Uh, it's not bad. It's just not, not great, you know, for, I would argue. I'm not using it for this show, but I've used it for previous podcasts. Yeah, I mean, it's not so horrible. essential I mean, functionality. You know, it, it's, it's, it needs to be updated, right? I mean, the interface is still yes. kind of iffy. Um, but anyway, so but the biggest problem lately is with with 14.0.7, which was the current version, is that it was horribly, unmercifully crashy and buggy, and it was basically to the point where it was garbage. Um, and one of the biggest biggest issues um, that was uh, multiple monitors. As soon as you would change input and drop a monitor off on the Mac, it would crash the client instantly, right? Um, which needs to say kind of sucks when you're on a conference. <laughs> so, um, so 14.08, now 14.08, which is current, which was released, um, on the 9th, I believe, of April. Um, it doesn't specifically say it fixes that issue. Um, but generally it says, uh, the two main, main updates are that the, the delegate issue that it resolves and also enables, uh, support for and Mavericks. So I think a lot of these fixes are bundled into the fact that, you know, if you're running Mavericks and you're running 14.0.7, uh, that this, this 14.0.8 should, should rectify that. Now, and I will say on one machine, it definitely has been 100% more stable. Um, but on my MacBook Pro, it still crashes every so often. And I'm not sure why, because it's not a monitor switching thing. But, but I will say, you know, it definitely has made it much more reliable on my Mac Pro. So um, we'll put that with the link up there if you haven't 
seen this already. I tweeted it out. But, uh, I mean, I, if you're running it and you need it, I would update it immediately. Because <laughs> so far, it's been pretty solid. Like I said, I, on one of my machines, it still crashes every so often. Cool. So, yeah, I, that that's partly one of the reasons why I'm back on the PC. Because uh, I had a very... Well, Link was very buggy for me. It worked. But I sort of had to walk away from the computer and just leave it. Um, I, I didn't know it was that multi-screen thing that was causing the issue, to be honest. Uh, I just recently switched back to a Mac and thought, I'll give, that, I'll give it a go, I'll do the podcast on it. Um, but yeah, so uh, I, I, I don't have any idea when the next version of uh, Office for Mac is coming out. Um, but uh, apparently the Office for iPad, which I'll talk about a bit later, is is the same code base and it's the same team. Um, so something's in the works anyway. Whether that'll extend to a, a Link client, whether it'll be based on Link for uh, iPad as the, the base of it, who knows? Yeah, obviously I grabbed it. I mean, it came down. It's it's awesome. I mean, you know, again, you know, it is what it is. I mean, we'll get to, um, we'll, yeah, we'll we'll get to that in a minute because we've still got oh, a couple sorry. more linked up. Excited, but, but yeah, the the, the Office <laughs> iPad uh, is going is the the biggest thing uh, for for outside of Exchange Link and Office three six five. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, Stole then uh, your Norwegian Link and bring your own device uh, Linkcast is now online. Uh, do you want to tell us uh, a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So um, I did this uh, Linkcast, which yeah. was an online event uh, for Microsoft here in Norway, where I was asked to talk about Link and bring your device in a wireless infrastructure. So this is Norwegian only at the moment? It is. Uh, and uh, maybe I should do it in English as well, uh, it, because it's one of my favorite topics, and it's really interesting and it's core link and it's uh, so important for uh, businesses to succeed with link because um, users of link is typically very uh, bring on device <clears throat> type of people they have iPads they have uh, uh, notebooks uh, they have uh, uh, ultrabooks um, they have the latest in phones stuff like that especially the important link users which are um, the the highest on the food chain um, people in the organization like uh, the C, C guys uh, and um, or the CXX guys yeah uh, so, so um, your boss is boss is boss yeah those are the most important people often because they are also the guys on, on the uh, on the money bag uh, and and the reason for, I, I'm not going to talk long about this but uh, the reason for this being important is that uh, and, and my main takeaway from from the talk uh, was that users want to decide from themselves what kind of device they want to use and that's uh, bringing on device right so the organization is allowing users to choose uh, Android uh, tablets uh, Android phones iPhones uh, iPads uh, Windows RTs uh, or their favorite computer because they have actually um, um, learned that at home because IT is actually more mature at home and than in many workplaces right now so what um, they want, what we should do here is um, definitely sounds enabling. quite. On, it definitely sounds like you're quite on message with uh, what Microsoft is saying uh, to their customers at the moment. Uh, yeah, it so, is. Yeah, uh, it, it is actually happening, and it's it has happened. <laughs> 
We're at, we are at that point, though, aren't we? Where, uh, I mean, let's face it, all our devices are more advanced than what IT gives us. And uh, especially as a consultant, it can be quite frustrating having to ask for things from IT. So imagine being a business user who has all this cool kit at home and you can't get it to work at work. Yeah, right. So um, so the next thing here is then enabling the apps on the user's devices uh, within uh, the security parameters uh, created by IT. So you have a point where you look at security versus usability, and uh, you need to find a good way in between those uh, settings. Because if it's too hard to use, it's, uh, users spend too much time setting this up. Uh, and if it's too easy to use and there's no control, uh, you have no control over your data, like ActiveSync and uh, username and passwords and stuff like that. So uh, uh, what I suggest is that Office, which now also is available on uh, the iPad, which we are going to talk about a bit later, uh, and link clients and mail clients like ActiveSync uh, should be used on the native uh, by native applications on devices. But maybe you could publish uh, ERP systems or other other. Uh, specific systems to that organization through um, terminal servers or published apps. So um, the job of for IT now is uh, enabling the users to use those devices and uh, also enable a good wireless experience of that. So you, you um, come to work with your newest Lumia 1520 and you want to spend 20 minutes setting it up with your email and stuff like that and also have being a premium user on your wireless network because you want to do link conferencing on it because it's a tablet, right? So the wireless network should yeah. be, you should authenticate with your username and password which is the same as in Active Directory and also this pro hopefully the same as your email address and uh, and password. So uh, when you authenticate, um, the wireless infrastructure notice that this is an unmanaged device, but you are authenticated. So there's a policy there allowing you to um, do link, uh, do uh, SharePoint internet, uh, and also do um, Exchange and other applications that should be accessible to those devices without giving too much access, like file servers or other internal systems. So the users can do a, um, a cross-enable um, link call and uh, get, um, surf, get to surf their internet without any hiccups or issues. So um, typically you'd see most organizations who do this would have a wireless network that, uh, that, that is for personal devices with a different SSID. Yeah, this different SSID and also they are placed on the internet. Uh, yeah. So they are not uh, not part of uh, call it um, the, the, the good user network. experience. So this is th this is different to that then. This is taking this to the next level. Yeah. So you have the wireless office and uh, and you also see more and more users using the tablets uh, uh, or or the um, laptops uh, wirelessly. In, in meeting spaces, in silent rooms, moving between locations within uh, the office walls. And um, so, so you need to um, um, take care of this. So cool. that was 
probably the essence of, of my talk, yeah. and then I go into how and why and uh, and really, uh, uh, yeah, how how we can succeed with this. It, it'll be good to see if you do do it in English because it almost sounds like it's worth uh, learning Norwegian for. Uh, because yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm intrigued because obviously this is something that comes up uh, a lot of the time and you see you see different ideas of how to put it together uh, at different customers. Um, but a lot of the time it doesn't uh, think about how to get enterprise quality voice uh, across those networks, does it? Because it often, as as you said, it's it's just giving them internet access, and they they have to go out to to come back in again. In effect, yeah, and uh, and link gets the blame, and and then you have a uh, not as good uh, adoption of your uh, technology as probably you would hope for, exactly. and um, and then you probably should rethink your investment because uh, if users are not happy, they won't use the software. Exactly, and I'll blame and say link. The, the connotation will be that link voice yeah. quality sucks, even though it is. You know, it's all about the network, and we've talked about it many times before about with Wi-Fi and pitfalls of you know link voice on on Wi-Fi, and uh, and um, it's yeah, it's critical. I mean, it's you know, it's one of the most, it's one of the biggest, uh, I think you know, pain points in adoption of link voice that I've seen is is always Wi-Fi issues. Yeah, and it's a new age now, and it's been here for a couple of years already, which is uh, bringing on device and, and wireless devices in, in your workplace. Uh, I've got to say, I, I am continually impressed by the quality of Link Voice, though, uh, especially on, on the mobile devices. Uh, just the other day, uh, well, every time we do this conference call, uh, me, Paul, and, and Michael, uh, about a, a HA book, uh, I always completely forget about it. So my phone starts ringing as they add me to the call, and I can be in all sorts of different places. The, the, the last call, I think, I was in a hotel. Uh, I'd just arrived at a hotel. I was walking uh, across the middle of Reading, and I was just on my 3G network. I'm walking through this 1500s hotel all the way through, and not once did Link drop the call, and that was just going over you know, standard 3G network. So, you know, it's it's amazing what it can do with nothing to help it be good at it. So it's cool. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's cool. I mean, I, I pretty much, you know, um, I use it every single day. I mean, I I I, do, I haven't like my my iPhone, um, my AT and T phone number is forwarded to Link, and so like my so at least for probably a solid year, when you when it calls my cell, it's always going to Link, right? So yeah. whenever I'm on the phone, I'm basically using Link Voice now. Um, but even just going through the house, like I, I have, you know, say I have a, a, a routine stand-up call every day at 8:30. Usually I'm walking through, you know, I walk down to the basement to go on the elliptical. I take this call, and you know, I'm going across three access points. And, and sometimes uh, in the basement, the access point won't even pick up, and it'll drop the th- it'll drop the LTE. Yeah. You know, and but but Link just, you know, the client just keeps on picking it up and picking it up. I never lose the call. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing to me. Ironically, the only point in this podcast that your audio broke up was as you were saying that. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> but apart from that, no, it's it's dead true. It's dead true. I mean, for a normal conversation, then when you're not presenting, really, you know, it, it doesn't really matter though about that kind of thing. The fact that it stays intact and you're not actually having to think that you're using Link. It's just the device uh, is is pretty cool as well, and uh, you know it's a, certainly factors into that. Um, but buildings can be nightmares for this kind of stuff, and one yeah. person using it is easy, but lots of people using it is very very hard. Right, that's uh, 
really core to this subject because uh, when you have adoption, people are starting using it, and and uh, even though the pilot was awesome, uh, the rollout is going to fail because now everyone's going to use it. So yeah, so th- those are online. So if you are Norwegian or you speak Norwegian, listen now. Uh, if you're not, then bug Starlight like to uh, re-record them in English. As Microsoft Or learn Norwegian. Well, Norwegian is it's worth doing. Um, so uh, there's more updates though out, and uh, link April 2014 uh, cumulative updates are here as well, Starlight. Yep. It's here, and uh, it's here both for uh, the, the client, the desktop client, and uh, for the server. Yeah. And it's called the Link Server uh, 2010, April 2014, cumulative updates. And I, I think it's CU12 if you if you use that, those uh, uh, terms, but uh, the correct term is, is the full name. Yeah. And um, and not all. And the reason for that is that not all components get updated. But some do, and and that's why uh, a CU isn't numbered because you could have a uh, January update for one component and a February update for another component. Yeah. So so that's why. But um, yep, it's 2010. I, I don't work much with that anymore, so it's probably an awesome update, and I recommend <laughs> updating it to 2010 if you're migrating to 2013. Uh, you should be on the latest update and uh, make sure when you're updating that you're also updating all other servers which have core components uh, installed like the um, Exchange Unified Messaging Server, like um, third-party clients and applications uh, that uses call centers, servers and stuff like that. And to get the full list, you could uh, run the get CS computer commandlet to to get all the servers within your link deployment, and um, you can also see how far behind you are on your um, uh, on your um, uh, update list. If you if you check under control panel, you can see your current update status, and and make sure to to patch all servers at the same time. Uh, also, remember the edge servers. Um, I had one customer where the um, uh, update release on the edge server was uh, January, and the link um, front-end servers were running on RTM. And apparently in January, uh, the gap became too large, so the AV edge server was not supported anymore by the internal servers, so it stopped working. That was a cool thing to to um, troubleshoot. So make sure to to update your servers uh, all at the same time. Yes, make sure you do that. Moving on to our Office 365 topics to round up uh, today's podcast. Uh, the first thing, and I can tell everyone has been itching to talk about it, Office for iPad. So that was released in time for the last podcast. And uh, Julia White, who presented it, uh, to the world herself was was there, but not at the podcast recording talking about that in particular. Uh, so it, it it didn't get mentioned then much in the, the last podcast. Um, but uh, now I think uh, everyone with an iPad and an interest um, in Office has has probably had a play with it by now. Um, certainly, I've been using it quite a, a lot and had a lot of a uh, lot of interest. Uh, 20 times as much interest uh, in Office for iPad as I have had from customers interested in 
in Yammer, for example. You know, it's, it's definitely something that's a selling point for Office 365. What about you guys? Have you used? Yeah, it? I mean, it's great. It's, I mean, I I think I I think I initially bought my um, um, 365 Home Premium subscription because of Office for the iPhone when it came out. Yeah. Um, just you know, so I could see when, see with it. So yeah, I was excited and, and actually you know and I you know <clears throat> this is a tangent. I use that constantly now. I'm so lazy to when I get a new new device. It's so much faster to just like you know to download the streaming install of Office and not even screw with mounting an ISO. You know. Um, well, so yeah. I use it all the time. But yeah. um, you know, it's awesome. I mean, it's a big deal. I mean, what did they get? Like 12 million downloads or something the first week or something? It was crazy. Uh, the numbers. That's what they um, say, and that's interesting because how many surfaces across all Surface, RT, Surface Pro, Surface Two RT and Pro? How many of those did they sell? Oh, probably couple million yeah so you compare that those together that's very very impressive and you think well why didn't they do this before now yeah and and, i mean the the quality you know and again and it was also a question of like you know if they would have released something and it was kind of lousy then it would you know it might have kind of killed this in this track but it's the fact that it's really well done and very yeah you know the design language is very good it's they should be really commended for how good it is in my opinion anyway it's amazing you'd think that they hadn't just finished it and they'd had ages to polish it while they waited to release it Perhaps. Well, I heard rumors that like they, they they got it done like in three months or something. It was not. It yeah. was you know they kind of banged it out. It's and I'm kind of excited because I think the Mac, there was um, a the Mac BU and these in this group are all the same now, right? So I'm that's why it's also leading. You know, uh, we're supposed to see the, the what is it? The uh, Gemini release is going to be the version of Windows that you know t- touch centric um, mm-hmm. coming. But you know that also makes me excited for what might be coming for the you know uh, the next version of Office for the Mac. You know, because yeah. obviously. Right now, it's not my favorite, you know, um, and I hardly ever use it anymore. But. Well, yeah, so uh, there was a Reddit um, Amateur type thing, and they did they, they did say it's the same code base yeah. across the two products, right, right. which is good. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it remains to be seen when that's going to come out, because the sooner the better for the Mac, because it's, it's not like there's some good things about Office for the Mac. Uh, I like that focus view where it's full screen. It stops you from using anything else. I like that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, I I do love Office for Mac. Uh, I did have one of these Surface Mobile Wedge keyboards, and I got rid of that, and I've replaced that with a proper Apple keyboard. Uh, I'm getting along with that a lot, lot better uh, with my iPad. And it's it feels like it should have been there for so long. So I have been using Pages... And then exporting that to SkyDrive to upload it for absolutely ages, and I just given up in the end uh, of trying to use it as a to, to actually write proper articles with. Um, but uh, but definitely, you know, I I can really use Office for iPad. And yeah, and well, I think you know, it's funny because it. not, not, you know, before that comes out, it came out. I still, you know, I had I, I bought that Dell Venue 8 Pro, which I love. Um, and Mike, I, we did talk about it at Mac too, but Microsoft gave out gave out one of those to everybody at Mac, which is yeah. totally cool. And also, I didn't realize this either until I kind of got home. Uh, they gave us a, a year of 365 in there too. There was a code um, and a 64 gig uh, micro SD card too, which is also <laughs> kick ass. Oh. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll be instead. It was like a four hour box, you know, pretty much worth of stuff. But uh, um, so, and I applied the key. And it just get, you know, extended my my subscription for like till 2015. So I'm like, cool, thank you, thank you, Microsoft for that. 
Um, but you know, I, I, I love having the, the Venue 8 Pro because it's it's you know it's fits the same thing as size as my um, iPad Mini and uh, it's full office. You know what I mean? It's, that's well, what's so cool. It's about small it. I, I've not oh yeah, the Venue 8 Pro is, a, is an outstanding uh, a device. I mean, I, we've talked about it before. I would wholeheartedly recommend grabbing one. I didn't think that Windows 8.1 in that 8 form factor would be worth a damn, but but for so many things, it's pretty solid. Um, you know, it could be a little bit faster, but it's not certainly not slow. But sometimes, you know, if you got 85 tabs open in IE11, you know, it gets kind of bogged down sometimes. But mm. although, you know, for just a link client, I mean, I can't tell you all the stuff I do with it. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy. So, um, so, so it's a good portable device and stuff like that. Then. Uh, it's, it, it's yeah, I mean, I definitely work I mean, focused. Yeah, well, and I, you know, we're going off on a tangent, and we're talking about iPad for Office, but I mean, I, for yeah. me, in some ways, it's kind of replaced my. I hate to say it, but it's sort of replaced my iPad for a lot of things. That being said, you know, I mean, my, my iPad is still my reader, it's still mm. media centric device, but and that being said, you know, you get used to this and the Venue Eight. Like I said, there's sometimes slowness with IE, and then you go to the, you, go, you go to the iPad, and you realize how how much more fluid things are though you know and how sometimes less you know there's a lot less going on obviously than 8.1 but you know some things on 8.1 are just clunky to me you know especially with that screen size the keyboard popping up over the top of everything you can't really see anything on the screen the surface pro has got the same problem you know where you know if, you know two-thirds of the screen is the keyboard you can't see what you're typing at you know? <laughs> yeah so i mean it, it can be similar but it's not too bad on office for for ipad uh, it's not much different from Pages. They've, you know, they've tried to keep all the the toolbar stuff to a minimum so it doesn't get in the way. And I, I think they've done a better job with things like the toolbar uh, on Office for iPad than Pages did because it doesn't feel quite as sparse uh, as Pages does. Because with Pages, it feels like you've got nothing there to to use. Um, but uh, but Office for iPad feels more grown up, if you see what I mean. So my daughter has just started writing, you know, she's only five, uh, so I've given her pages to use because it's, it does seem silly to give her Word and a SkyDrive just to write, you know, pictures of her animals and stuff like that. And I think that's where pages probably gets it better uh, because it's easier to insert a picture, rotate it, do things like uh, alpha masking to mask out what's behind the picture of the cat that she's taken a photo of uh, <laughs> but do, do you know what i mean it's easy to yeah. do it's it's easy to make a, a cool poster in pages on the ipad um for her and it's much much easier for me to write an article for search exchange uh msexchange.org on my ipad now because some of the articles that you'll read on search exchange most of those and and uh, the last six months or so on msexchange.org my articles have been written at some point on an ipad and hmm. poor well poor me has been there exporting it out then having to reformat everything uh, from pages to to fit uh, into the right format on the the uh, um in microsoft word i don't have to do that anymore it's just so much better and real usage as well so so i was at a customer uh the other day and i was doing a workshop with them i was using word uh so we had presentation up using word to record stuff and and type in some of the answers to some of the questions as we went along and getting towards the end of it you know uh didn't have much to do 
there were plugs, but uh, uh, I could see I was running a low on battery, so I shut, I made sure I saved the document, shut down the laptop, and then of course opened the iPad, and we carried on on there, and it worked absolutely fine. Uh, customer last Thursday as well uh, did the same thing. We went off to fill in some more information. Um, again, wanted to record that in, in the Word document that I had open. So I just got the iPad. We took that to the other place that we were going so I could leave everything up and running, all plugged in this time. And again, opened the document, uh, filled in all the information on the iPad. So, uh, well, I didn't even need to save it. Got back and, and Word on the desktop up to date. That co-authoring real-time stuff works really, really well. And I, I just couldn't live without it anymore. I'm very much sold into SkyDrive Pro and spend a lot of time co-authoring documents with my colleagues at work. Uh, so having this as well is, is just an added bonus for Very me cool. anyway. So I don't know whether anyone else has shown it off as much as I am or, or working with it in that way and sort of embracing it, but definitely 110%. No, yeah, I mean, I haven't really, you know, I, I, I certainly don't write any, any content really on, on an iPad, so... Um, you know, I mean, I, for me, the usefulness is not even, it's not, it's not apparent because like I said, I don't really, really do anything on the iPad in terms of, you know, create docs or anything. I mean, I use OneNote on the iPad more. Yeah. Well, yeah. Suite now, it's you know? OneNote. The, the updates for OneNote is absolutely perfect. At the same time as Office for iPad, they brought out some updates for OneNote as well. So that's, again, yeah. vastly improved. Um, and one, the, and OneNote for the Mac is like one of the greatest things ever. I mean, that, I mean you know, <laughs> Well, I mean, it's like, you know, 99% no, of my use for VMs is basically for Office, right? So, yeah. like, on my Mac, I'm, I, you know, even though I run a Mac, I'm probably in Windows on my Mac more than <laughs> on anything on OS X, to some extent, right? But the number one thing I'm running is is always, always has been been OneNote, you know, and now I have it on the Mac side. It's so nice to, you know, finally just have it on the Mac side. You know, again, there's some things that it could do better, but uh, for a first time up uh at bat it's outstanding so I, i've not used uh one on the mac yet does it feel like it's based on one for ios at all or no well yeah i think actually it's probably that's the best way to put it, it does it does kind of feel that way and you know, in fact you that's know, a good actually, thing, though. i agree but you know the and, and now that i you say that you know it, it, it maybe it does like seem like it is because there are some pieces of the interface that if you don't have like a trackpad you're kind of screwed um yeah. Uh, like so, if you have a lot of tabs open, um, you, you there's no uh, there's no way in the interface to really see there's a scrolly bar above those mm. until you like highlight it, and you really wouldn't know it's there unless you like, screwed with it. But if you have a trackpad, um, you can just swipe you know sweep up and down that li- the list. But it, otherwise, it's kind of hard to find with a mouse. So in some ways, that, as I'm saying, it, it kind of seems like it maybe was based on ios and like that's one thing you, you know you have on the on, well, I, it, on an it, ipad that you don't have the here, same right? teams it makes sense yeah. and so, somewhere i read that that office lens app has made its way into some part of OneNote for ios or something like that i couldn't find it though um but um that's a that's a, a great OneNote addition for windows phones in that you can take a picture of a receipt or a piece of paper it auto formats and apparently that's yeah, I haven't really used it yet. I downloaded it. That's, that's made its way to either the ipad or ios or something like that. i've not had a go with it but it's, it sounds pretty cool but but yeah i mean it's, it's good to see all that fitting together because it does go with uh, uh the the mobile first cloud first i i liked what uh uh, I, I like that they said d- they, people think he has a problem with ordinal numbers um, because they're both first, which can't possibly be true. But I do get I do get the whole mobile first kind of thing, and 
it's good to see it's good to see the products across platforms that you want to use because I didn't start out a PC person and I like to use anything. Uh, I'm not so much Linux on the desktop, but you know, I I would like to know that uh, I, I could get all this stuff across a range of devices, uh, and I'm not tied in. I'm not tied to what Microsoft want. So yeah, that that this this all suits me, and uh, I I'm seeing a lot of interest in Office for iPad. Uh, you you know when you talk to a customer about Office 365 and they've all got iPads that open for the meeting, that that's probably something that they're gonna like. Uh, when they when they get to see it anyway, so yeah, um, I, I think it's I think it's great. It's nice to have a full complement of apps as well. Yeah, like I said, like I said, at the, if uh, you know you, you listen to the uh, the recording we did at, at Mac um, last month, um, but you know, and I think I said it before. I mean, you know, Microsoft makes awesome software, and uh, you know, I'm glad that the group that you know is running things now understands that you know it doesn't have to be tied to windows make great software and have it run on all platforms right because people want to choose what what they want to use and but they but at the core of it should be your software and the experience should be the same across all the platforms but it should make no, no difference what platform you're running on you know i think one, one so thing i'm glad that, to see go ahead. uh one, one thing star has just mentioned is yeah so if you if, if you order refrain from getting one note uh, on the ipad because it costs money well it's it's free now so that's that's good news too yeah well it was always free than what if you had like Freemium. more than 500 notes you had to pay yeah, or something that's <laughs> like, right more than 500 notes i don't know well i i paid for it so so Did yeah you? this is good good i'm i'm very happy i'm very happy so uh, if you see a, a bold chap on a train on his way to london uh, over the next few weeks uh, using his ipad uh, to write him word that's probably me uh, and i'll have a big grin on my face as i do it uh, moving on to our last topic of the day and we're finishing off uh, with a little bit more Office 365 and a little bit more of Exchange. Uh, enter Michael Van Hybrid. He's talking about uh, eNow's new monitoring product, which uh, you, you tell us you have had a bit of a hand in getting out there. Yes, yes, actually I did. Um, tell us about so your involvement, first of all, uh, just out <laughs> of interest, and of course just to make sure that uh, we're not telling you it's the best product in the world. You're not going to review it and go, oh, it's fantastic. The developers, the ideas, they're brilliant. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so you had a little bit of a hand in it. Uh, or was it a big bit of a hand? Mm. Tell us. Um, yeah, well, actually, you know, um, I got in touch with uh, Eno a while back, and um, I was interested in, in their products. You know, they they, uh, they do monitoring and, and reporting on Exchange and Link and stuff. And I was interested in the Exchange stuff. And then, you know, we kind of got talking about eh, we're doing that for Exchange Online, and and I said, well, I'd, I'd be more than glad to take a look at it. And then, kind of got you know, sent emails back and forth and like you know, asking my opinion, giving my feedback, and that's kind of how we came to uh, the product as it is today, um, where I, I basically, you know, kind of gave my input, because I, I live in, in hybrid deployments, so I was like, well, you, if you do monitoring, that's these are the key points that you have to take a look at, and, you know, this is, for instance, a way that you can do it, uh, and kind of, you know, go back and forth with um, their developers and stuff to, to you know, to, to give them input in, into what I would find very important in, in a monitoring tool if I would buy one for, for hybrid deployments. 
Um, and that's how we, you know, came to to the Mailskip for Exchange Online tool right now, which does uh, monitoring for uh, Exchange Online. Uh, more specifically, well, it it does it for Exchange Online, but uh, it, it does a lot more than that. It does uh, full hybrid monitoring, and um, and that that's kind of you know what I wanted to talk about because um, it, it is the the first tool out there um, and and I found it, it it's a it's a market which you know is easily forgotten but I I'm sure that you can um, test uh, testify to that Steve that well, you know, yeah, even yeah. if you're in in hybrid mode you still need to monitor stuff and and it's very difficult Especially you need to if you've do got different centralized things. mail flow yes um, oh, yes indeed indeed uh, so, so so yeah so email does seem to have that approach where and correct me because i'm going to get this slightly wrong uh they they started out consulting built their own tool based on their experience and that's how it sort of came together and this is a this is along the same sort of vein you're a consultant you see this gap in how things should be monitored and products that are built just to monitor by teams of people who did just develop things to, to monitor products don't see some of the, the issues that you see and have to troubleshoot. So you've given that experience to them to help build this product. Yes, yes. Um, so, you know, well, that, they had I'm sold. Great. That's quite compelling. <laughs> no, well, uh, actually, you the, know, one of the things, sorry to be interrupting you, one of the yeah. things that you just mentioned is, you know, especially when you have centralized mail flow, so one of the things that the tool does, it checks the uh, authentication header and the, the spam confidence levels of mails being sent uh, between, you know, the cloud and the on-premises environment, for instance. Yeah. So, uh, just to give you an idea, this is, you know, the kind of input that people in the field, and not only on I can do that. You know, the, the input from people working with it is very important, hmm. um, and, and that's why I'm kind of putting it out there um, because you know, it, it, to get that feedback, it's, it's really important and really cool. Um, so yeah, and, so I'm going to put yeah. you on the spot then and try and think of. I'm not. I'm not trying to catch you out or anything like that at all. Um, <laughs> it might. No, honestly, I'm not. Um, but I'm uh, just trying to think of some things. You, you're going to point out more things that I haven't thought of uh, as well, naturally. Um, but um, so certificates. Yep. Easy, easy one for for TLS for SMTP. Yep. Um, oh, obvious stuff. Uh, federated sharing. Yes. The organization relationships. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> test, test organization relationship. Making sure that that's all working. Yep. Uh, what about the new OAuth stuff? Is that coming soon? Um, that all works when it's put together. Thinking about it, not actively in the product yet. Um, probably, you know, um, because, you know, if you're working on stuff, then uh, you don't kind of need to divide the attention. And no one's using OAuth at the moment. I mean, not for the, the, the majority, maybe for uh, e-discovery and stuff. Um, so, you know, that's something that's probably coming, but not today or tomorrow. Uh, what else then? Uh, <laughs> You're really trying to find something, aren't no, you? No, no. Uh, what about um, uh, connection failures? Because IP address ranges have changed, firewall rules haven't been updated. Absolutely, they are being checked. So I'm not going to go with any others because those are some really obvious type of ones, but absolutely. that aren't being monitored elsewhere. Yes. So the the the, the thing is that um, you know what, what really important is, and that's actually the point of, of me you know pointing this out is that uh, 
monitoring a hybrid deployment requires a different approach. I mean, there's obviously the on-premises stuff that you need to take a look at, but there's the interaction between the cloud and the on-premises stuff that you need to take a look at, uh, which requires, again, a different approach. And that's, you know, basically the what, what, what we're doing here is uh, we're doing um, synthetic transactions to make sure that, you know, what a user would do, that that also works. And on top of that, we're, we're taking the obvious stuff, as you just said, the TLS, we're testing the mail flow, we're doing the organization relationships, uh, we're testing ADFS if it's deployed, we're testing Dursync if it's deployed, um, making sure that it operates, you know, as it should. Um, and, and we're even, you know, at the point where we're going to do 360 degree monitoring, where we're doing an inside out and outside in testing as well. So Cool. Very, very, very cool. cool. Yeah, I, I requested the, tr the trial for the link product. I want to take a look at that. Yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, no, and, and, you know, basically... Uh, People, you know, amongst each other, techies amongst each other. Um, I love playing with with software. Um, also, if someone uh, you know points it out and says, "Hey, go and have a look," um, that's typically what I do. And you know, if if you if you guys and anyone listening to this feels uh, feels like it, definitely take a look at it because um, although that I have worked that with them and that I'm probably kind of biased, um, it's a, it's a really cool product. I mean, it's it's really good. And so far, it's the only one out there. So. Yeah. So, uh, and having met some of Enow's customers, they do seem to have quite a, a happy customer base. To to put it mildly, they, you know, their their customers do seem to love them, uh, which is unusual for a company. But they, they, what I what I know of them, they don't seem particularly heavy on the sales focus. They they're better at talking oh, yeah. to techies. Uh, you know, their their technical been, background. I mean, the COJ yeah. used to be a consultant. Used to speak at conferences like we do. So he understands what you know, what it, what it's all about. And you yeah. know, it, it's 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 not forced. Like you know, as you said, it's not sales driven by the the thing that you know you get to talk to a sales guy and. and I'm, does, not, I'm not naming any names, but the, the there was a the, there was one uh, thing we went to and uh, when we were in uh, Las Vegas last year and it definitely felt like we were being sold timeshare at one point and they're great guys but um, it felt like you know we were they, they wanted to talk to us about the sale how to sell it yeah. become a partner and, and that, that kind of thing doesn't work with customers and it doesn't work with consultants not not well anyway Mm -hmm. uh, it's, if you've got a good product that works, then you've got a good product. You don't need to try and convince people it's good and bore them with two hours on it. Absolutely. And talking of two uh, hours, I think we're coming up to to that point on the podcast. So I hope we haven't bored you for two hours. We are going to mention one last thing because I did delete it from the podcast. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, and John really, really wants to mention it. Well, Go on, John. Timely. Yeah, if you, for those of you uh, deploying Polygon phones, uh, the BBX series, they just released a firmware update 5.0.2, a um, bunch of updates, and it also changes the interface, I think, for the better, and gives it kind of more of a flatter, uh, more modern look for the jelly beans and stuff on the main screen. So, um, And it should, if you, if you had 5.0 on the device, you should be able to uh, deploy it like any other UC updates um, and link and have it come down to the devices. It, I didn't get, it didn't work for me, it might be some of my update stuff, but... Um, you can also do it right from the page on the um, on the devices itself and download from Polycom. So, pretty easy to, to update. Highly recommended. If you have more information, uh, you can go to Jeff Shirt's blog too, and um, he's got. Yeah, we'll, we'll try and put that uh, in the link. So send that to me after the show, John, and um, we'll pop that up. So thank you for my co-host this week. Uh, very much appreciated. And uh, thank you in advance to our editor, which might, if we're lucky, be the wonderful Andrew Price. 
The UC Architects uh, was sponsored this week by Instant Technologies, who are experts in e-discovery and compliance for your Link IM archive. You can view a two-minute demo or start a free trial today at www.tryhrauditor.com or follow them on Twitter at Team Instant. And finally, before we go, as ever, we want to remind you that the UC Architects are online. Visit our website today at www.theucarchitects.com or follow us on Twitter at The UC Architects. Be a friend and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash The UC Architects or find us on LinkedIn and join our group, The UC Architects. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast already, you're missing out. You'll find more like this on the iTunes store. Search for us on your newly updated Windows Phone 8.1 podcast app. Or just subscribe to the podcast now using an RSS feed in your favourite podcast downloader. See our website for links on everything on our show today. And we'll see you back for the next episode with Pat Hosting. Thanks for listening.